Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. My name's Jim Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Dave was out of town this weekend taking his youngest daughter to college. Uh, he will be an empty nester after this, so you can pray for he and Autumn as they make this last milestone for them as parents. We've, we just finished our series in John called Who is Jesus last week, and now and through the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some various subjects. Today, it's going to be about how, how do we grow to maturity in Christ? What does it mean to change? If you've been a Christian any time at all, you've heard that you're supposed to change, right? Um, and we always wonder, okay, how is that supposed to happen? What do I have to do? Is it a product of my intense effort? Is it stuff that I have to work out in my own life? Well, the key idea that we're going to work through today is that we change to be more like Jesus when we are trusting that we are who God says we are. A long time ago, uh, in the very distant past, my, my wife was just reminding me in the past couple days that I have been out of the military as long as I was in the military. I'm not even going to tell you how many years that is. Anyway... Back then, there was this thing called selective service. Anybody know the draft, okay? <laughs> and you were assigned a number in the last few years of the, uh, of the draft, and my number was 75. They only went to number 76. Oh, yeah, I got, <laughs> I got selected. And when you're selected, uh, if you don't do anything, you are automatically going to be in the Army. And at the time, being in the Army meant that you were going to go straight to Vietnam and you were going to spend two years in the Army and then they are going to send you back to civilian life. Well, I didn't want to go to Vietnam. So I went to the Air Force and said, hey, can I come join you? And they tested me and said, okay, you passed the test. We have a job for you. And it's the only job we are going to offer you because that's all there is. So if you sign on this dotted line... Uh, this is what you're going to do. So I signed on the dotted line and went in, and immediately those street clothes got exchanged for uniforms, and my hair got shorter, and they taught me how to walk, which the Army calls marching, and they taught us how to eat in a dining hall, and they taught us how to respond to those of higher rank than us and how to be what they wanted us to be. I went through some training that took months, maybe some years, and then eventually they assigned me this number. It's called an Air Force Specialty Code, MOS to the Army. And that thing meant that I was this certain thing, right? When somebody says you're a K-1555 Charlie, you're this thing. And I had a new identity. That's who I was supposed to be. Now... I really didn't know how to be that identity, right? I was brand new to it all. It was totally unfamiliar. Over time, though, as I worked on things and as they taught me more things and as I got more experience, I became that thing. I became that K-1555 Charlie, those numbers, whatever that... And someday, if you want to talk to me about what that identity was, that's another subject. We can do that. Uh, but there's a big question in that. We all have identities, right? 
we can be grandfathers, we can be fathers, brothers, sisters, mothers, teachers, soldiers. We carry around all kinds of identities. And those identities are sometimes more important to us than they ought to be. But there is one identity that is given to us by God, and that is we are children of the Most High God, right? We are in Christ. What does God say that we are? Who does he say that I am? Now, when we're trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, when we are in that new identity, we, in a moment, God assigns us, you are this new thing. You are a new creature. But we're in a growth process towards maturity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to spend the rest of our lives in that process. We're going to look at Colossians 3 this morning. It's on page 984 on the uh, Bible that's in the pew in front of you. If you want to get one of those and take a look there. You're welcome to take that Bible with you if you don't have one at home. We love it when people take a Bible and actually read it. Something that a guy named Stuart Briscoe said. He said, you know, books are really great, especially if you read them. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We're going to be calling this this morning, Living Out of Who God Says I Am. Read with me. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand. God, your goodness and mercy never cease. We pray that as we talk about your word today, as we think about these things, as we consider our identities, 
that we would trust that we are who you say we are, that because of that, we would recognize how we can grow to maturity in Christ. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first step to growing and maturing in Christ is to trust that we are who God says we are. And that's what it talks about in the first four verses of this. Uh, what does God say? He says, if then, or, or you could say since then, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. You've been raised with Christ. That really seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, we didn't die, right? Christ died. But what's interesting is we died with him. We were supposed to be on that cross because of our sins. Christ took our place. He sacrificed himself for us as the perfect sacrifice. And so we've been raised up with him figuratively. God sees us as with Christ now. Just think about that for a second. It's where we want to be, right? We would want to put aside all the troubles of this life to be where Christ is. But that's where God sees us right now. Here's what it means to be raised with Christ according to Paul in Colossians. It tells us he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And then he also tells us in, in the first chapter of Colossians, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Holy. God has set us apart. He's taken us from our past position, our past identity. He's now set us apart and said, You're saints. I see you like I see Jesus. He's made us blameless through Christ. We used to be able to be blamed. We were guilty. We are no longer seen as guilty by God. He's not going to accuse us of anything. And we're above reproach. What that means is God's never going to say, I'm disappointed with you. I disapprove of you. He is always delighted in us. He always loves us. Because we've been raised up with him, what does it tell us to do? It says, seek the things that are above. Okay, we think of above as heaven, right? We think up there someplace is where God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are. Uh, that's done so that we can have some comfort in our minds about, okay, there's some place that we will be with them. We really don't know what that will be like. But we do know that where they are is where perfect unity and perfect love exist in the Trinity. And we are in a relationship with God through Christ. And the reason we want to seek those things that are above is because we want to keep that relationship going. We want to grow in that relationship. We want to know more about God. We want to know more about what it takes to trust Him and in trusting Him and we please Him. That's the stuff we want to seek. It's got to be all about deeper relationship with him. It's not about getting anything for me. It's responding to God's love and doing what he wants us to do. He set us apart for his purpose. He's cleansed us. 
He has no disapproval of us. Just wonderful stuff. Those are the things above. So whatever occupation we're in now, whatever season of life we're in now, whatever identities that we're carrying around right now, and you may have several. You know, there, there's all kinds of different things that we hold on to and say, well, I'm this kind of thing. All that stuff is superseded by our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ governs every other identity that we have. It's our guidance for how we live, for how we relate to other people. The other thing that we see that God has done is that we're secure in Christ. He says, where Christ is, this is where you are, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Fantastic. I mean, it's wonderful. God has placed us somewhere where nobody else can take us out of. We're hidden with Christ. And Christ is sitting at the place of honor with God. Can you envision yourselves in that place? It's really hard for us, right? Because we don't know what that will be like. When we put our trust in Christ, we had a figurative death. He paid the penalty for our sins. We should have died. We didn't. Jesus took our place. Because of that, we are forever bound to him in a relationship. He's the one who rescued us. He's the one whose sacrifice broke the power of sin in our lives. Our lives are hidden in a couple of ways. They're secure. That's the first thing we talked about. We're already fully accepted because of that. That's one of the problems Paul is confronting here in Colossians. There were people in the Colossae church who were telling everyone that, okay, you have to do these other things. It's not just about trusting in God. It's not about trusting Christ. You have to honor certain holidays. You have to follow certain traditions. You should abuse your body to make it be what it ought to be. And Paul makes it very clear, all that stuff is of no value in defeating our sin nature. It's not going to work. I'm always reminded of this when I'm out in the garden pulling weeds. How many gardeners do we have in here? You have to pull weeds, right? And if you're a gardener, you're going to deal with weeds. And when I'm pulling weeds, no matter how many weeds I pull, tomorrow there are more weeds. I mean, fertilizer works on weeds and on the tomatoes, right? They both get it when you throw it in there, and so this stuff just keeps growing. When we try to deal with sin in our own strength, when we try to say, okay, I'm just going to stop doing that and I will be better and then I'll have a better relationship with God, we're fooling ourselves. We're not made to do that. God didn't design us to be able to manage sin in our lives. And here's what one person says about it. This life in Christ is not about what I can do to make myself worthy of his, of his acceptance, but it's about daily trusting what he has done to make me worthy of his acceptance. You know, it's only by the empowering grace of God's Holy Spirit that I can resolve sin in my life. Imagine, imagine this for a minute. Just think in your head, okay, I'm talking to God about my sin. Where is he? Is he over there somewhere, standing with his arms across his chest saying, 
When you get that straightened out, we can have a relationship. Or is he right here with you, with his arm on your shoulder saying, I see it. I I see your sin. I love you and I delight in you. And we can work on this together. How we picture God when we're thinking about our sin and about our relationship with him makes a huge difference. If we think of him as over there someplace, we have a distorted concept of God. He's the one that came after us. We didn't go running after him. He is the one who's pursuing us all of our life. He's always ready for us to turn to him in repentance. And it's really hard for us to be vulnerable or honest with someone that we don't trust. And what happens when we picture God that way, when we think that we have to make ourselves acceptable, we are really not trusting God. Another way that our lives are hidden in Christ is that we can't even really picture what it's like to be with Christ, right, in eternity. That's just, I mean, we could make artwork, we could think of all kinds of things, but what will it really be like? It's only when Christ comes back, when he is revealed, that we will be revealed with him in glory, and we will finally understand what that's going to be like. So it is, in some sense, hidden from us. Is your thinking focused on the new reality, the new identity that God has given you? Do you really understand that that's true? Have you really come to believe that you are who God says you are? That you're raised up with Christ, that your life is hidden with Him? When we're trusting what God has said to us, when we're trusting that we are supposed to be moving towards maturity and becoming more like Jesus, It means we're going to have to get rid of some things. There are some things that we're hanging on to because we all still carry a sin nature with us. Uh, We've got these remnants that Paul refers to as clothing and the habitual sin that we deal with that stuff has to be taken off, stripped off. And we have to put on those new attributes in Christ and trust that our new reality is true so we can discard that stuff. So God provides us with a new set of clothes. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about putting on new clothes. Change, if you ever thought about it, what does change imply? I think it implies that something gets removed and something replaces it in almost any circumstance that you can think about. And so here's what we say has to be removed. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I don't think the first five of those need a whole lot of explanation, right? We understand what those things are. They are desires that all of us have struggled with at some time in our lives, maybe even now. I do think we need to recognize how dangerous and how destructive those things are to our lives, those desires. Here's what James says about it. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Death, that's what those things bring us. God sees us as alive in Christ. He wants us to have new life. And so he wants us to to change something. Uh, 
really all those things can be boiled down into the last one, covetousness, greed. We think of greed often as, okay, that's about money. People are greedy. People want stuff. But you can apply greed to any one of those. We can be greedy for sexual desire, impurity, for evil, for passions. When we're greedy for any one of those things, we're really pushing God aside and saying, this is more important to me. And that becomes an idol. That's what an idol is, something that pushes God out of the forefront of our thoughts and our care. And it gives us something else. We say, this is more important. I want this. Now, you know, we can adopt idols on a temporary basis and run back to God. They're still idols. They're still getting in the way. When we put something to death, what does that mean? If something's dead, it's inanimate, right? It doesn't have the power to solicit a response from us. It's like a rock over there. It's a rock. It's, it's inanimate, right? That's what dead stuff is like. The rock can't get us to do anything. If we put those things to death, that's the way they are to us. They're inanimate. When that clickbait comes up on the internet, when we are tempted to do something, we don't have to respond to it because we're not who we used to be. We are in Christ. God sees us in Christ. He sees us with all the holiness of Christ. And because of that, we are able now to say, no, that's not me anymore. That's not who God says I am. And that doesn't mean anything to my life. It's not helpful. And I don't have to respond to it. There's a bunch of other things listed there. Five more remnants of our old man. Anger, which is like seething hatred. Wrath, the eruption of anger into rage. Malice, evil with the intent to harm others. Slander, when we take our malice and turn it into speech. Obscene talk. And we're not just talking about bad words. We're talking about the kind of speech that hurts other people. But we're not who we used to be. God changed us forever when he moved us into the kingdom of his son. By God's grace, we can kill that stuff. That's the things for which Christ died. That old self, the allusion here is to Adam. When Adam sinned, he brought death into the world. And we're all like Adam. When we sin, we deserve death. But we have a new man. A new man, the new self, has been put on us through Christ. Because in him we have life. Because we have life, we can fight against our sin nature. We can trust that God can do something about the sin in our lives. And so what, what is it that enables us to strip off those old practices? First, we are, God who's, we are who God says we are. We are new creatures in Christ. We're not just sinners who happen to be saved. This takes a... There's, there's popularity in Christian circles about saying, oh, I'm just a sinner who's saved by grace. And what we really are, we are saints saved by grace who happen to sin. There's a big difference in the way we see that. 
Saints are set apart by God. Saints are blameless. They're without guilt. And saints are not going to get any due approval from Christ. So we can put those things away and we don't entertain them. And there's one of two strategies you can adopt in doing this. Uh, the strategy that we're going to talk about first that is working on our sin issues is what every man-made religion does. Every time we fall into this trap, we are really saying, I don't trust you, God. And the trap is, we're going to change into a new person. We're going to make ourselves a new me. We're going to be a changed me. And when I finally become that changed me, I'm going to have the relationship with God that I've always wanted. Here's the problem with that. It doesn't really take sin seriously. And when we're doing that, we're never trusting God. We're trusting what we can do. If we take the other strategy and say, I'm going to trust who God says I am. This is who I really am. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I'm a new creature. This takes sin seriously because in that we are recognizing how bad sin is and what it took to get us to be who we are. It took Christ dying on the cross for my sins. Each of us can say that. Christ died for me. He died because I sin. And because of that, and because God didn't create me with the ability to deal with sin, I trusted God who has the power to overcome sin, the power to overcome death, can resolve sin in my life. That puts us in a place where we're trusting God. That puts us where we're pleasing God. And yes, we're saints. And we sin. But the more we trust who we are in Christ, the more we can become like Him and the more we can love other people because of it. If you look at verse 10 in the passage there, it says that the new self is being renewed, that is, renovated. You know, renovations often start with tearing everything down and starting over. And that's what God did in our lives. He started with a new foundation. That's our foundation of being in Christ. And we're still carrying around with this, this, uh, this bag of dirty clothes. <laughs> and because of that, there's a renovation that has to go on, a renewing that's continual. God's at work doing it. Uh, God can see the reality of who we are in Christ. We're not yet able to see that. We can trust in it, right? That's what this is all about, about believing that God has made us something and that's what we are. That's our identity. We want to experience it, but first, in this process, we have to start discarding all that backpack full of dirty clothes that we're carrying around. And we have to put on things that are consistent with being in Christ. Things that look like Christ. The good news in this is that it's not all up to us, right? Yes, there's a tension here. We are to do things, but who's doing the work? Here's what Paul says. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Who started the good work? God started the good work. 
He's going to finish it. He's not going to leave us in a state of panic, wondering if we're ever going to be where we ought to be. He is going to finish his work. And when we were, are with Christ, it will be complete. We will finally be rid of our sin nature. A really good thing about this is that when we live in this new reality, when we put on these new clothes, it enables us to see the others around us in a new way. We're no, looking, we're no longer looking at other people as sinners. We see our brothers and sisters in Christ as saints like us, people who are struggling with sin, people who are dealing with issues that they don't know how to resolve. That is so wonderful because it frees us. We see them the way God sees them. We can love them the way God loves them. We're in a community of saints. We're bound together in Christ. We're supposed to function in that community and tell those about Jesus. And that new community is here now. This is not something we have to wait for. It's not something we dream about. Uh, it is an opportunity God puts right before us. This is where we get to exercise those trust muscles, whether we're trusting God or not. And we get to model those new clothes before others, the clothes that look like Christ. It says in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self of his practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There are barriers uh, to us loving other people in the community. And one of the biggest barriers is the idea of lying. And, you know, yes, yes, we can fabricate things, but a lot of times our lying is just our hiddenness. It's the fact that we are afraid because we are failing, that other people aren't failing, and that they will know, and because they know, they'll reject us. That hiddenness causes us to not admit what's going on in our lives. In effect, we're lying to people. We're acting like we don't have the problems you have. Everything's wonderful. We're just fine. fine. As, as John Lynch would say, as fine as fine can be. Uh, well, we're not all fine. We're all failing. Every one of us. We, we don't have to look at other people for their failures. We know they have them. We know that we have them. And the shame that results from that causes us to hide and in effect we're lying to people but we don't have to cover up we don't have to put on a happy face attempting to convince others that everything is just okay we stripped off that old garment in this new reality we don't wear that anymore the lies that come with it don't have to be told or left untold and the amazing thing about this is this renovation is not our work it's God's work in our lives he's doing it he's going to complete it but what happens in this community what's different here this community abolishes all those distinctions that keep us from thinking other people will like us and also keep us from interacting with other people who are different. Here's what it says in verse 11. Here there is not Greek 
and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Here there is not. That doesn't just apply to, Coloss- to the Colossians. It applies right here. Here there is not. We don't have all those distinctions because the gospel nullifies all those distinctions, takes all those things from heritage and culture and language and which side of the tracks you were born on, ethnicity. All those things are leveled, demonstrating one thing. God's love is impartial. And because God's love is impartial, we can be impartial. We can love other people without getting excited about all that stuff. We may still have differences, but we can love each other. The separations that are based on origins and cultural distinctions, all gone. Here's what it says in, uh, in 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This passage is making it really clear that our tribe, our culture, our language, they're not greater than our bond in Christ. To be a follower of Jesus is to be in relationship with other people. That's what we were made for. And since all those tribal distinctions are overcome by that, we can relate to others as Jesus relates to us. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the pastors here at GBC and their wives got to go to an Acts 29 global gathering. Uh, That is the church planting network that our church is a part of. And that was in Orlando, Florida. And while we were there, there was 1,300 other people there from around the world. They represented 45 different nations all with churches planted through the ministry of Acts 29 and by God's grace among the nations. It was so amazing. Some days you're singing in Malawi. Some days you're singing in Spanish. Uh, We are talking to people from Brazil who speak Portuguese. Uh, It was hard to understand some of them. And it was hard to make ourselves understood. But we came away amazed by God's work among the nations And recognizing that Christ is all and he is in all. That bond of being in Christ with those 1,300 people, those people from around the world, just bonded us together, all working for one thing, to spread the gospel. What should it look like in this community? Because Christ is the preeminent one. Because Christ is the one and all who trust in him, we can relate to others like this. And here's what it says in verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's five big virtues he points out there. Compassionate hearts. That means we are honestly sympathizing with other people, caring about them, 
kindness. We're doing what's helpful. Humility. We're ready to sacrifice for the good of others without care for ourselves. And meekness, that's gentleness. It's ready to make allowances for other people. Patience. We're not going to seek revenge. We're willing to endure wrongs. There's a couple applications Paul gives us. Bearing with one another. <laughs> that means things are going to happen. We're going to feel wronged. People are going to have troubles. And we're going to be asked to endure what's happened. To bear with them. To help them through it. Forgiving each other is the second one. That seems really hard sometimes. But it gets a lot easier if we really consider who forgave me? How have I been forgiven? When we recognize that every day we are dealing with sin issues and every day God is forgiving us. It gets a lot easier to forgive other people. Put on love. That's the overarching the all-encompassing aspect of God's character, love. It holds all these other things together. It makes them all work in balance. But it provides the glue that bonds diverse communities together. That's why we put on love, because we can do it because God's love overflowed to all of us. We are God's chosen ones. That's exactly what the Scripture says. But we weren't chosen for our personal benefit. We weren't chosen so that we could come here and get a feel good by the worship, get a few words to take away with us. We were put in God's kingdom for a purpose. And our purpose is to relate to other people, to spread the gospel. We have the privilege of being the ones God has given the responsibility of spreading the gospel. He's doing it through us. We can put on the character that God already sees in us as sons and daughters. This is described as fruit in a couple other places. I'll read you one of them. It's Galatians 5.22. I know you've heard it before. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I, uh, I made the mistake of listening to a Tim Keller sermon when I started looking at this passage. Actually, I was looking at some other passages. I still listen to Tim Keller. But here's a couple of things I learned from that about fruit. It's mysterious. God is at work growing fruit in our lives through His renovation, His work, which He will complete at the day of Christ. How does He do that? We can't explain it. It's gradual. You can stand there and watch the pears grow on a tree as long as you want you won't see it happening. It's only over time that you see fruit growing. So in a few weeks, you can see a difference. In a couple of months, you can eat pears. It's seasonal. There's times when there is no fruit, right? We don't have much of a winter here in Texas, but stuff still doesn't grow in the wintertime here. But there are times when fruit is abundant as well. It's inevitable. This is God's work. He will finish what he started. And it's symmetrical. There's one bunch of fruit, okay? You could think of that passage as love, colon, 
and then everything else, the other nine qualities. It's all growing together. It's not like patience is springing up over here one day and over here is self-control another day. No, it's all growing together because that's the way God works it through his Holy Spirit, which is doing this work in us. This is all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. When we're walking with the Spirit, the fruit is growing in us because God's doing it. So here's kind of where the rubber meets the road. Our new life, this life, our identity in Christ is a life of unselfishness. Our primary interest is no longer ourselves. It's other-centered. It's loving others in Christ. So where can we practice these things? Where's a safe place to trust God and others with yourself and who you are in Christ? Well, that's what small groups are all about here at Grace Bible Church. That's why we do small groups. They provide a place where we can take off our masks, where we can be known by other people and we can know them. They provide a place where we can be loved and we can love other people. They provide a place where we can truly care for people. We can be healed. And of course, I have to admit, this is my shameless plug for small groups because in the next two weeks, we're going to have sign-ups for small groups on Sundays. We're going to give you a chance to meet small group leaders, to ask them about their group and say, you know, does this really fit for me? Is, a, is this a place where I would want to come? Uh, I really encourage you to, to take the opportunity because what we're going to see in small groups is we're going to see a little taste of the bond of unity that love does in us through God. We're going to see what it's like to be in that perfect community that God and the Holy Spirit and Christ inhabit. Now, granted, it will never be exactly that because we're all sinning, because we are saints who still happen to sin. But it gives you tastes of it, I can guarantee it. So you've got to put off your fears and trust that God who brought you here can protect you. He can heal you. He can love you and he can enable you to love other people and sign up for a small group. The final few verses here. They call us a unity, thankfulness. And they could also be a template for what ought to happen in a small group. Let's, let's look at 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's things that are happening. We're supposed to allow the peace of Christ to rule for unity so that we get along. Christ has given us peace. He has showed us what peace is like, what it's like to have, be at peace with all men. We can have that. We're supposed to allow the word of Christ to live in us. We are supposed to remember the gospel and to constantly be seeing what is the gospel changing in my life? How should I respond to today's challenges using the gospel? We're supposed to study the word together. We're supposed to struggle together to teach and to learn, to encourage each other. We're supposed to worship together and to be thankful. Do you notice that? 
over and over again, be thankful. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now that part tells us about us being ambassadors, emissaries. We are Christ's representatives in this world. We are being Jesus to people around us. We're giving them a taste of what it's like to have this new identity, to live in this new reality of who God sees us as. What we say, how we say it, what we do and how we do it all communicates opportunities to trust that we are who God says we are. We can risk loving others because of that. We're not who we used to be. We're changed by God's grace and we're going to continue to change by God's grace. When we made that departure from darkness, when God moved us from that dark kingdom to the kingdom of our Lord Jesus, we had the forgiveness of sin. We have the promise of life forever with Christ. We got freedom from the power of sin in our lives and we got the promise of an ongoing renewal of self. Uh, some things that we need to do that I must do is I have to trust that that reality is actually true. That I am who God says I am. That I am enabled to live a life in Christ. And I have to discard all that old stuff. Those old clothes have to be taken off, thrown away. And I have to put on things that are consistent with life in Christ. The final part of that, we have to embrace the new community. We have to really act like those saints around us are worthy of love because God loves them. He loves us. I hope we can do this. I hope we can be what God wants us and sees us as. Let's pray. God, we know that your goodness overflows to us. We know that your word is true. We know that we are your children. God, grow our trust in that. Grow us to maturity in Christ as you promised you would. Help us to see others as you see them, as saints whom you love. Show us, God, how to love other people as you have loved us. In Jesus' name.